0: All right. Well, welcome to another episode of the Rethinking Faith Podcast. As always, I'm one of your hosts, Josh Patterson. And with me today is my good friend, Marty Frederick. Marty, how's it going, man? Oh
1: Josh, it's a bummer. Uh my computer broke. I, I don't know what happened. Um, so we're taking donations in our in our Patreon <laughs> <laughs> for our meeting. But but really, though, it's uh it's been cool. I man, we're getting ready for Christmas time. I I know this may air after Christmas, but we're just getting ready for Christmas. The family is like we're there's all these plans to like make cookies and like bake this and bake that and like do these things. Like everyone wants to go ice skating on the ponds in our backyard, but it's not been cold enough for the ice, the water to freeze. Um, so it's like on the Christmas bucket list, but nice. we can't even do it yet. There's a bunch of stuff that we're just like, everyone's got like, we got to watch this movie and we got to watch that movie and we have to do this thing. And like, all the things we used to do, like go to the go to downtown Chicago and see the Christmas lights, uh, or like Macy's would decorate the windows, all the windows on on um, um, on like one of the main streets that it's on. But like, they're not going to do that this year. So like, there's just like, COVID takes a lot of those bucket list items away. It's sure. a bummer.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. We're uh, in a similar boat. Um Actually, I'm excited because I'll, I'll so I'll get paid at midnight, and then I'll actually be able to get the gifts that I have, you know, uh, picked out for a <laughs> while. <Yeah>. Nice. <laughs> so we but well, nice. we decided to do just uh, stocking stuffers this year, okay? Because we're currently in the process of trying to get a house, and mm. so we figured, you know, a house is a pretty good Christmas present to each other. Heck yeah! So we're trying to be more responsible financially, but I'm I'm a little bit bummed for a different reason, Marty. Last night was the last game in my uh, hockey season. Oh, man.
1: But I saw you had a pretty – you had had quite the game,
0: though. I mean, not not as good as Kevin. Kevin had three goals. I had a goal and an assist. Yeah. But, yeah, and we won, you know, so that's good. But I'm kind of sad.
1: And the Bears won yesterday. A big (laughs) win. For Whatever. no
0: reason at all. No <laughs> I know that that takes
1: us, <laughs> that takes us down a digression we don't want to go on, but
0: yeah. And also, too, we do also. Maybe we should just go ahead and jump in though, because we also have people with us today, not just one but two. Yeah. Two people, and so with us today we have both Cheyenne and returning guest Kobe Martin. How's it going, guys?
2: Going great. <laughs>
3: Cheyenne, yeah. I always am gonna talk way too much. So
2: okay.
3: if you sense a pause, you take it. You jump okay. in there. You know,
2: I thought maybe it was just like we needed a dramatic entrance.
3: Yeah, so yes. that
1: was that
2: was the dramatic entrance. When I, I, when,
1: I when I when I edit this podcast, I'm gonna put a huge drum roll in that section. Right there. Yeah. So everyone's like waiting, and there's anticipation, and I'll triple the length of it. So it's just like it's just <laughs> waiting you. forever.
3: I'll send you my walk up song that I use on Sunday mornings. I would love it. Okay. Perfect. I'd love it. <laughs> it
1: great. Um, well, so this is interesting, Josh. We've never had an opportunity to ask two of the questions that we ask to two different guests. Right. Um, so we'll ask the first time guest question. I'm using that language on purpose, Josh, just for um, Get out of here. Cheyenne, uh, who is your favorite ice hockey team?
2: Hey, okay. um, I am a Rangers fan. Got nice. it. I know Makes that's sense. sometimes an unpopular opinion uh, um, so but I've been a one hockey game um, I went in New York City and it was the Rangers versus the Flyers and the Flyers won
0: oh man so, bummer well I, yeah I'm jealous of you because I've always wanted to go to a game in New York City Madison Square Garden is awesome and to be able to see a hockey game there would be great so mm. Yeah, you you have me beat. That's awesome. Yeah. It was
2: cool. It was fun. <laughs> I, I've,
0: had, I've had opportunities where I've gone to games and like
1: I've gone to like five Bears games and every every game I've gone to, they've lost. So <laughs> I'm still doing it, but it's just me and I'm the reason. So I've stopped going to games hoping that maybe they'll turn it around. Um, and they I'm not still lose. Specific. Yeah, that's right. I'm not superstitious, but I am a little stitious. There you uh, go. <laughs> uh, an office quote for you. Um, <laughs> Just Standard stitious. <dishes>. Yeah. <laughs> but Colby, so we have a second time guest question, and this one is really cool. This is close to my heart. Um, Colby, who has been your favorite live musical act that you've ever seen?
3: It's great. I, I will respond to that. But I did think I was going to get the hockey question again. I don't remember oh, what you I got said it last, last time. time. I know. <laughs> I was going to answer differently this time. I was going to say Mighty Ducks, and I had this whole riff about Emilio Estevez being an underrated <laughs> actor and whatever. <laughs> that material's now waste. Okay. Um, best live musical. I would say uh, it's a tie between Glenn Hansard. Uh, um, I got to see him when he was coming through shortly after he did his, the big, you know, once blew up. Uh, Glenn Hansard did a tour. Uh, And then also Jason Mraz um, is one of my all-time favorite singer songwriters. I currently live in San Diego, which is his hometown. Uh, So he put on a show here a couple years ago and every time he, you know, books a, a show in San Diego, he ends up having to do like three, four nights in a row because they just sell out. Jesus said a prophet has no honor in their hometown. I don't think that's true for Jason Raz <laughs> I think he has found a way to get honor in his hometown. And so he just puts on a great show for um, hmm. for his fellow San Diegans and oh, so good. Every time I leave a Jason Raz show, I feel, I think I missed my calling. I think I am supposed to be a musician. So I go home and I, I write songs for about a day and then I realize no, I suck. Yeah. <laughs> Well, thanks, man. I, I, I had never heard of the the
1: first artist you, 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 you mentioned
3: Glenn Hansard. Yeah. You have not. Okay. I haven't. Um, he used to be the lead singer of the band called the frames an okay. Irish, um, indie rock band. And have you not seen or heard of the movie once? I don't think so. Okay. Uh, I might just check be it.
1: under a rock. It's, I no, not no, It's think fine.
3: It's it, it was probably like 15 years old at this point. So, um, but check it out. It's a it's an indie movie. It's a, a kind of like a musical, but not really. It's just song. The, the the music is what carries the whole film, and it's just gorgeous. Absolutely gorgeous if you like music, which I think ninety-seven percent of the population I, does. I do. I do. Don't you like those people who fill out like, like, "What are your interests? What do you like?" And they're like, "Well, I like music." Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. you yeah. do.
1: Yeah,
3: that's <laughs> uh, so unique.
1: Well, or the it, it always always baffles me that people are like, "Yeah, I don't really listen to music." And I'm like, "Well, what do you like? How long is your commute to work? Oh, forty-five minutes. Well, what do you do? Well, I, I just drive. And so I, I just drive. sit in silence." I'm sure I'm totally underclassifying these people. I'm sure they have very prominent and special things that they do on their commutes.
0: No, they listen to one song car radio by 21 pilots. It's the only song they listen to. Got it. Yeah. And see, it's like a thing. It's a, it's not a paradox, but it's a thing.
3: I understand. I get it. All right, Marty, go check it out. It's called once. I don't know if it's streaming anywhere, but even if it's on iTunes, you need to pay three bucks to rent it. I'll, I'll pay. I'll, I'll pay you to watch it. Well, <laughs> that sounds
1: awesome. Well, so I guess the, the next thing we want to know about you guys, just tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, Cheyenne, you can go first. Who are you? What do you do? Uh, what's your What's your journey in life been?
2: Yeah. Um, my name is Cheyenne. Uh, my pronouns are she, hers. Um, I am a teaching artist. That's my, my main job. Um, so I teach theater and dance in various settings Um I've taught with organizations all across the, the country. Um, I spent some time as a barista in New York City, um, about like three years. So I'm a huge coffee nerd. And I do also, I love food, like food. <laughs> um, I love going to restaurants. I love reading cookbooks. Um, I also love donuts. Mm. Um, one of my goals in life is to do this donut trail in Ohio. I don't know if it's like, a, like, how real the thing it is but um it's basically all the donut shops in ohio are mapped out and you go to all of them and then if you get a stamp from everyone you get a shirt it says like you've survived the donut trail so my nice. goal is to eat all the donuts in ohio some point in my life <laughs> uh, <Yes>. <laughs> <laughs> I, one of the first things I did when I moved to New York City is actually I went to all the donut shops because I needed to find the best. I just love donuts. It's um, amazing. So, yeah. So, yeah. Um, I don't know anything else I should.
1: should well, share? Which, which coffee shop did you work for? Because I, I too, also oh. call myself a massive coffee nerd. Uh, I'm drinking, I'm drinking a holiday blend from slate coffee roasters in Seattle right Ah, now.
2: Yeah. Um, Um, well I live in Seattle too. So, um, that's that's
1: my favorite. I love slate. It's so good.
2: Um, so I worked at Joe coffee. That was where I started. Um, they're a New York city chain. Um, and then I worked at a little cute cafe, um, that was brand new called boundless Plains, And, um, that was really fun to like work at a brand new coffee shop. And then yeah. I worked at uh, black Fox. Okay. Um, nice. so a lot of, a lot of fun. It was just awesome being a barista is so fun because like you get to meet so many different people. Um, and I, I like talking. Um, <laughs> so talking to customers is always fun and, um, geeking out about coffee with other people like espresso i don't know it's just fun (laughs)
1: you're you're providing the morning elixir that make people go from frowning to smiling and so you're the you're the good messenger the one that everybody (laughs) wants to see like there's nothing you can do wrong even if the cop the drink doesn't taste amazing it's you're still providing coffee so like you're still doing that so that's that's really great
2: yeah. yeah. And I'm, a, I'm a morning person. So oh, being cool. there in the morning was, I was like, sometimes I feel like I had too much energy with the, the sleepy people coming in. <laughs> <laughs> nice.
0: Yeah. Also too, I, I just want to help like make a connection here, Marty. Yeah. I met Cheyenne through uh, Brandon's wife, Christina, because she's good okay. friends with Christina and actually uh. I don't forgive me Cheyenne if we like actually had interactions at Messiah and I like forget (laughs) because I apologize but I think the first time I had an honest conversation like a serious conversation with Cheyenne I was in a in a uh, golf cart um, (laughs) and I played the Tokyo Drift theme song on my phone and that's the first time I met Cheyenne in a serious capacity and picked her up in a, a golf cart with Tokyo Drift playing so. That's, that's how I know Cheyenne
2: and <laughs> I awesome. don't I don't wear dresses and that was the one And time you were wearing a dress yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh.
0: yeah we were we were paired together for Brandon and Christina's wedding oh great so great. yeah yeah awesome. and I don't normally wear dresses either and I wasn't that day but you know <laughs> <Hey>. sometime maybe <laughs> yeah.
1: well thanks so much for telling us Cheyenne so glad to meet you um Colby, would you be willing to give us just a little bit about who you are again? Just kind of remind our listeners who you are, what you do.
3: Sure. I am, uh, my name is Colby Martin, uh, 38 years old, about 172 pounds, 5 foot 14 and a half. Uh, I live in currently San Diego. I've been here for just over eight years. I have one wife and four sons ranging from 16 down to Oh gosh, she turns nine next week. Um, I have been a pastor now for, well, if an intern, if it counts to be an intern, then I think I'm hitting 20 years. Good gravy. Uh, yeah, I've been a pastor in some capacity for 20 years now. Uh, my wife and I, the aforementioned wife and I, we started a church here in San Diego about seven years ago. Uh, prior to that, I was in Phoenix for five years. Don't recommend it. Uh, and prior to that was uh, Oregon, where I was born and raised and went to school and started in, in ministry. In addition to pastoring a church, my wife, Kate, and I, we host a uh, a podcast that has turned into a live show Um thanks to quarantine uh thank you COVID. um this message is brought to you by gratitude from COVID. um so we do a weekly ish live show podcast um on wednesdays and then I do our, our virtual church service on sunday mornings and then i've written two books the first book um unclobber rethinking our misuse of the bible and homosexuality and then the second book which is what i was talking with you josh and marty about a couple months ago it's called the shift and it's essentially a survival guide when people are leaving their conservative Christian world and, and searching for something a bit more progressive um, with regards to their faith. Mm. That's it. And I also uh, am a, a, a fan of the, the coffee. Um, I am currently drinking my single origin Columbia from Jeremiah's pick out of uh, San Francisco that I made on my Chemex this morning. Yeah, I'm, I made mine with Chemex. The, the, the viewers at home too. couldn't see, but I simulated the circular <laughs> yeah. pour of the Chemex. So if, if you're just listening to this on podcast, you're missing some of the great moments. Yeah, like
1: this. that's right. We're so lucky. Uh, I, 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 I too, brewed mine on Chemex, although sometimes nice. I use V60. Um It's mm-hmm. my, my other go-to because it's uh, just a little bit stronger, Um but uh still really fantastic and clean tasting. And even though I don't think he does it as much anymore, I know Josh, uh, when he moved to Florida, we lived close to each other and worked together, um, bought himself a Chemex and had a coffee subscription for a while and uh, was into the good coffee. Um, so Josh is not, he's not on the outside looking in on this conversation.
0: Right. Yeah, I, can, I know enough to keep up. And I enjoyed the coffee subscription, but that was one of the things that like, when we were budgeting, it just, you know, had to go. Um, sure. No. Yeah, and no. I, there are other <laughs>
3: things that could go before that.
2: I cut out my vitamins.
3: <laughs> right. So. Yes, there cut you out go. your vitamins. Cheyenne has her priorities correct.
2: Coffee, housing, vitamins uh, gotta go. I'm cut out uh, yeah,
0: well, housing,
3: groceries.
1: Who needs any of those things?
0: I'm, I'm more <laughs> of like a craft beer kind of guy, though. So, like, I know you can do both yeah. craft coffee and beer, but the, I, like, I brew my own beer. So, you know, money goes towards that. Um, But also I'm like, I'm not drinking coffee like you guys. This is actually a hot toddy. Um, Mm. Yeah. And I use Jack Daniels, Tennessee honey. Um, It's great. A hot toddy. It's like tea and uh, honey and lemon and yeah.
3: A ten in the morning, though, but I guess you're not on my time, are you? Yeah,
0: it's not ten in the morning. There, no, yeah, we're in the afternoon here, Colby. It's it's one twenty. So technically, I guess it constitutes as day drinking, but it's just it's one. It's shot. Got to stay healthy.
1: Yeah, it's exactly. not morning drinking, is what he's trying to Good say. To so it's once That's once right. noon passes,
3: it's okay in right Josh's
0: But I mean, you know what they say: you can't drink <laughs> like all day. they say.
3: It's one o'clock somewhere.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> all right, right, all right. Well. Um, so today, Colby, as you mentioned, um, we are here to, uh, discuss or at least use, uh, the first book you wrote on clobber, rethinking our misuse of, uh, the Bible and homosexuality. That's kind of our, our, uh, jumping off point. Um, and so, yeah, also you mentioned the shift, which again was wonderful. And, and Marty and I, uh, both agree that, uh, you are definitely, uh, easily our favorite, uh, a guest that we've had on. So yeah. thank you for that. Um, and so we're excited to have you back and especially, uh, to talk about this, but before we jump into your book, um, I want to throw things over to you, Cheyenne, and just ask you what has been your experience in regards to the LGBTQ community and the church?
2: Yeah. Um, so I am, I'm gay. Um, I use, I use that term just, (laughs) whoa, (laughs) Everyone like oh, can gas. You can uh, edit that in there. Um, <laughs> um, I use that term just because it, it's so it's so much easier. Um, so that's that's the term I use. Um technically uh, I'd be a lesbian, um, but you know, I just interchange, you know, whatever's comfortable at the time. Um so growing up, um, I would say The church was not supportive of that. Um, And I feel like for me, I had known for a really long time, like it was just something that's in the back of my head. Um, And, and um, I feel like for when I got older, um, something that really was pushed on me was the fact that I would, I had the possibility to become or I'm gonna say grow up gay, grow up and become gay because of trauma that I had faced. Um, and so that for me was, was really hard to wrestle with. And I just felt that like all of me had to be hidden away. Um, and something I think that really um, took me away from the church is I remember sitting in church the day that same sex marriage became legalized. And I remember waking up, you know, getting on Twitter I was in college at this point and, um, you know, it just felt like every, it did, there was just a happiness surrounding this. And I felt that happiness and I wasn't out yet. I was still kind of dealing with things internally. And I remember sitting in church that day and the pastor, um, I, was home, I was home from college, it was summer. And I remember the pastor addressing this in a way that we need to pray because this isn't right. And I, I just remember feeling so crushed by that and like looking around everyone agreeing. And I was kind of like, this is, this is not a place that I ever want to be ever again. Um, and it was also hard, you know, I chose to go to Messiah college. Um, I grew up going to church and, you know, it felt like the next step, um, and so, as a theater person, you know, my goal was to pick the Christian church that I felt was the most liberal um, <laughs> had the, the had the theater department that I could like you know call my home, and I definitely got that at Messiah, though being at Messiah college, I wouldn't say was healthy for you know me going through certain things um and I feel like the first time that i i as a as a person acknowledged my queerness was. Um, this is, I think this is really funny was at, was my first day at Messiah college and, um, how Messiah, um, you go through or, um, the first day of orientation after you move in all your stuff, everyone, all the first year students are crammed into the gym with the parents, you know, and there's like the service and then everyone has a candle and, um, they sing the song and then have, it's like um, a Christmas Eve service, but everyone like the lights are off and like the, I don't remember what song it is, but everyone's like sobbing, you know, and like everyone raises their candle. (laughs) And I remember raising my candle and just being like, oh shit, like I'm gay. And like, I'm, how am I gonna get through this? (laughs) And That was kind of like the first time I think I I acknowledged it. but obviously I, I like didn't tell anyone for like four years after that, um, but yeah. So I, I would say um, I was never supported as a child. It was something that wasn't talked about. It was something um, that was a result of something else. And if it, it's something that needed to be fixed.
1: Well, Cheyenne, I, I, I know that I can speak for Josh. I'm sure he's told you this before. Um, I'm sorry that that was your experience with the church. Um, That's I'm just, I I feel that. And I know that um, while I wasn't necessarily that pastor or a part of that church in the agreeance as the praying for something had to be done. um, I just, and I want to apologize for that because I it's um, it's a path that I think I I remember my first ministry role. I was asked um, if, if two boys that were in your youth group came to you later and acknowledged that they were gay and that they wanted you to marry them, what would you say? And I remember my answer, the church has done a really bad job of loving gay people. And um, they weren't satisfied with that answer at all. Um, but that was the answer that I felt that I could give because I felt like the question wasn't posed um, to get to know me. It was posed as a gotcha. Um, and so I'm I'm sorry that you've had that experience. I'm sorry that um, your identity has been used as a gotcha um, in, in many circles That's uh, It's not fair, it's not right And it's not Christ So um, I just wanted to I know that Josh agrees with that But I wanted to say that um, So uh, Colby Will you tell us about this book And just how it came to be And uh, your story behind writing it And w- where it all came from
3: Yeah Yeah um... I will, and also Cheyenne, thank you for sharing. I, I'm, I'm, I try to. I was. Uh, I almost said I'm always conscious of. That's not true. I try to be conscious of the um, the experience that so many of my dear friends who identify LGBTQ this experience where um, they describe it as y- y- coming out. It's not just a one time thing. It's just. It really is this thing that and. In small ways, uh, over and over again for your whole life, you do. And I know that from from the experience that I've been told is that it it gets easier, but it's still uh, there's still an energy drain to it. I, I can imagine. I can imagine. There's still an energy drain to it every time, even even sitting in what i hope for you feels like a safe space with the three of us but i mean you don't know me you don't know marty so we're still strangers um so even doing that i i I, to me is both courageous and beautiful um and also i'm just i am just conscious of the the weight of um living in a world that is by and large wasn't designed for those who identify as you do um, and so you're just having to move through it and navigate it in ways that I'm not. And, um, anyway, I I'm just, I just for me, it's helpful to, to name that uh, and to thank you for that. Um, thank you for engaging with us in this way. And I'm just sort of conscious of that energy. Like, I hope you take take good care of yourself after this. Maybe you go have the shot of Jack Daniel's whiskey that uh, Josh <laughs> is offering to pay for you while I pay for Marty to watch the movie once. Um, what was the question? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, what led up to Unclobber? Well, the short story is in 2011, President Obama signed a repeal of Don't Ask, Don't Tell, which was the military ban against gays and lesbians serving in our military. And I wrote on my Facebook page that I was glad this day finally came. For me at that time, I believed I was just uh, saying like, yay, this discriminatory Policy is no longer in effect. Uh, I was a very naive as to uh, that, that would essentially announce to my church at the time. It would announce, oh, by the way, and I'm also no longer anti LGBTQ. Because <laughs> at that time, I was five years into service at a pastor at a, a large um, evangelical church outside of Phoenix, Arizona. Um, and even though I had over the course of 2009, 10, something around there, even though I had shifted into what I call now an open and affirming theological position, um, the church that I was in was certainly not a safe place to talk about that. So nobody knew that that's what I thought or what I believed. And then the second they smelled the blood in the water, they, they pounced. And just five days after that Facebook post, um, they handed me my letter of termination. Uh, and so that, for me, then set me on a, a, a course of um in some ways trying to synthesize because leading up to that i had done like like i mentioned in 2009 2010 is kind of when i did this long theological exploration of the bible and homosexuality because up until that point i had just bought the party line the conservative evangelical my tradition was baptist party line which is a yeah uh, obviously homosexuality is a sin and being gay is an abomination and the bible is clear and obvious in that and I just sort of accepted that, even though, and I write about this in my book, even though when I was just getting started in the ministry, I had this heart-wrenching moment of realizing, like you said, Marty, like the ch- how is the church treating our gay brothers and sisters and siblings like this? Like At the time, I would have said, yeah, it's a sin, but we're not letting them be members in our church. This is this is my experience in the church. It? They can't be members or they can't serve in certain roles. Um, and so that was when I first noticed this, this what I describe as a lack of alignment between my head and my heart. My head was firmly entrenched in, yeah, totally. I can see how being gay is a sin, but my heart was just um, not okay with sort of the way the church ha- handled that. And then, yeah, fast forward a couple years, two thousand nine, two thousand ten is when I decided, all right, I'm gonna actually study this stuff. This is this is absurd that I've never really looked into this. I looked into it. it was like. Five or six verses out of 60,000 verses that even kind of sort of have anything to do with same sex sex acts uh, and nothing to do with the person's innate sexual orientation. So on the other side of that study is when I'm like, damn, I can no longer uh, like the Bible does not justify discrimination against LGBTQ people. And I just can't. That's not a tenable position for me anymore. But I kept it to myself. It came out. I got fired. Um, And then that. So the writing of the book was twofold. Part of it shares my journey of moving from a conservative evangelical Baptist pastor towards someone who is open and affirming. Uh, And then the other part of the book dives into uh, what are called the clobber passages, these six verses. And I share sort of what I have discovered as you jump into the historical context, the textual context, the cultural context. On the other side, you discover, oh man, these things don't say what people have said they've said for far too long. So that's, that's what the book is. And I wrote it because I was tired of answering people one off on Facebook. <laughs> as just, well, what about this verse? And I'm like, okay, this yeah. is exhausting. I need to figure out how to put all this into one place. Just give them a link. Yeah, yeah, buy it, the it book.
0: Book. <laughs>
3: yeah.
1: It's almost as if, and not, this is not said to diminish uh, someone, uh part of the LGBTQ community coming out and having to do, do that over and over again, as you mentioned, Colby, but it's almost as if you had a small, window into what it looks like to come out against something and then to experience that discrimination from that position yeah. um which i don't know that it i don't know that it's the same feeling uh, and i i would be willing to bet it's not but it it, it was it was a window into that soul totally. of that for a brief moment
3: yes um, and marty that
1: builds that empathy up almost it builds that, that feeling
3: that's exactly the word I was going to go to is empathy. The work of empathy, which by the way, some people are naturally bent towards empathy. Some people like myself have to really work at it. Um, so I have to work at empathy. And the, the work of empathy is to say, I can't know what you're feeling, but is there has there ever been anything that I've experienced that might in the Venn diagram of our experiences have some overlap to where I can be like, oh, I don't know exactly what that's like, but I know what it's like to feel isolated and alone and rejected uh, and, and turned over by people that I thought I trusted. Um, and specifically on this topic in the book, I described it as coming out of the theological closet, which at the time I just thought was a clever wordplay since then I've been accused of sort of appropriating terminology. And I think that's a legit argument. So maybe if I wrote the book over again, I might not use that phrase, but at the time that made sense to me. Um, and yeah. And so I can, in my own small way, I can understand, I, I, I know what it feels like to just because i'll have an idea in my head a theological idea in my head to be rejected by my entire religious community uh, over this so then i can understand damn that on the smallest degree then blow that up for someone um like a like a Cheyenne who has to not not just experience the rejection from family and church and community um, but it's more than just because of an idea in my head it's because of sort of who she finds herself to be and that is far more vulnerable that's far heavier um that's yeah the weight of that is is much more significant but yeah you're right marty yes it did give me an empathetic window into it and i'm conscious that it's not the full picture but it gives me it gives me something and i'm grateful for that yeah
0: sweet well colby there's uh like you pointed out there's about six i think right six versus um out of the entire Bible that uh, seemingly have something maybe perhaps, but also really don't <laughs> to say about the topic at hand and, and uh, you'd refer to them as the clobbered passages. Um, and obviously uh, we can't hash out uh, through all of them, but I thought it would, it, it would still be helpful uh, to just talk about a few, just to kind of give people um, an idea, you know, maybe for those who are still listening right now and they're on the fence, like, okay, this sounds nice, but, the Bible still is pretty clear. I've read the verses. I know them Um, at least maybe to help uh, crack open um, that understanding, I think could be helpful. And I know one of the places uh, that a lot of people go in and especially to in like Hollywood, this is often like made fun of. It's like laughed about. It's a joke. um, But is this the the story of Sodom and Gomorrah? Um, And so can you just like, rehash, what, what is the story of Sodom and Gomorrah? Um, how has it been used to, to tear people down or to clobber people, to use uh, your language? Um, and then maybe what's actually going on here?
3: Yeah. I apologize for the kid noise upstairs.
0: It's all good. <laughs> I don't know if
3: it's coming through or not. <laughs> um. Yeah. Okay. Let's see if I can do this in a non- 45-minute manner, (laughs) which I can't. I've been practicing. Uh, Also, I'll just start by saying this. In the ancient world, and this is hard for us, so one of the downsides of Google, and there's only about three downsides to Google, the rest are all positive, right? One of the downsides is is it artificially inflates people's confidence in things like (laughs) biblical studies. Because all they have to, all they do is they Google what does the Bible say about, and then they get one or two search you know results at the top of the page, and that's sort of satisfy And all they get is somebody's um, rehashing of some English interpretation. To understand this ancient book full of ancient stories and ancient letters and all that, it takes a lot more than just pulling an English translation off the shelf, reading it, and be like, well, that that's, I've done the work. No, no, you really haven't. Um, so... My point is, is in the ancient world they valued things, they valued different things than we do now, and they valued them in different ways. In the ancient world, if you wanted to be a culture that was known to be moral and ethical and upright and just and righteous, the way that you would exhibit that was what was the the Greeks called xenia, which is a a fancy word that, that we would translate as guest friendship, or we might just say today hospitality. But today, when we say hospitality, we think you know, making sure the temperature of the house feels good and that the snack trays are out and the cocktail hour is on time and maybe there's some light music playing in the background. And we think that's good hospitality. But in the ancient world, hospitality was no. You ensured that if there was a visitor among you that they felt cherished and valued and seen and cared for and empowered and protected. And the cities and the cultures and the tribes that did that, that practiced Xenia, were known as just and upright and and moral and all that. And conversely, then the ones that didn't, the ones that were uh, violent, oppressive, um, harsh, cruel towards the outsider, those who didn't practice xenia guest friendship, were known as, you know, the the scum, the scourge, the the tribe you want to stay away from. So you have stories, um, you have you have multiple different ancient stories. That hit on these themes where there's a divine visitor cloaked as a human that arrives in the city that is well known for its wickedness and its inhospitable nature and is only given respite and care by one family in the village. The rest of the village is um, violent toward them. And as a result, the divine figures then destroy the entire city, except for the one family that gave them the hospitality. And that's the story of Bacchus and Philemon as told by um, uh Oh, 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 God, what's the ancient dude's name? Ovid? Ovid's masterpiece, Metamorphoses? I don't know. You can have someone fact checking on that later. Yeah, some old um, dead guy. Some old dead guy. <laughs> That's the story of Bacchus and Philemon. And it also touches on the themes of the story uh, that you mentioned earlier of, in Genesis 19 of, uh, of uh, the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. My point is, is Sodom and Gomorrah is not unique insofar as the only ancient source that we have that has a story like this. These sort of stories were just told in the ancient world as examples and illustrations and reminders of what it means to be hospitable towards the outsider and what it means not to. And as I try to say in the book, um, the ancient Israelites were trying to figure out who they were. Who are we? We're no longer slaves under Pharaoh in Egypt. Who are we? And one of the things that they I don't know, your listener can fill in the blank, were told by God, felt compelled to by God. However, one of the things they felt compelled by God to exhibit was that Yahweh, their God, more than any other God, was a God who cared for the outsider, was a God who cared for the other, was a God who who embodied this value of hospitality and guest friendship. So in my reading, the story of Sodom and Gomorrah was the ancient Jews, their own sort of way of saying, yeah, here's what it." it looks like when we begin to lose sight of the way of Yahweh. And the, the ancient, the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah is like our people's reminder of what it looks like if we uh, fall off onto the deep end and we treat people like property, we treat them like we own them, like we can do whatever we want because the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, and this is probably Josh, what you're asking, has nothing to do with a person's sexual orientation. Nothing to do. The men in these stories are not gay um for one, the storyteller says that all the men of the city came to Lot's house that night Well all the men in the city, I don't know if you know this uh Josh and Marty, but I'm sure Cheyenne does not every man in a given city can identify as gay. It just it doesn't work that way um but the but it says all the all the men in the city from young to so this point is not about the story is not about orientation nor is it about, the Bible wrestling with the idea of what if there's two individuals who have the same sex and want to be in a loving, committed relationship? This has nothing to do with that either. The men of Sodom and Sodom wanted to, uh, pardon my language, they wanted to gang rape these visitors. This is really what the story, like they wanted to show their dominion and their power, and they wanted to just have their way with these men. This is not about orientation and it's not about a loving committed relationship. This is about different values that the ancient world was was trying to address and is about Israel trying to tell this story of what it looks like when they lose sight of Yahweh being a God who cares for the outsider, cares for the other um, and is hospitable toward them.
1: Mm. Well, and it's interesting because this is this is a very small slight digression, but the the term that we use today uh, sodomizing, uh, is is clearly obviously based off of this mm-hmm. this story, um, which seems like it's also now this is, is this word has been appropriated incorrectly to oh, describing yeah, yeah. an act um, it, that people assume that passage is used for. And then when you dig deeply deeper, you realize it's not true, um, and you can even you know you can even be you know receive uh, correction from the from law enforcement for doing that in some places still today, um, and that's the term that's used. So I, I, I as you were talking, I I don't know why I started thinking about that um, as an interesting appropriation. You know, three thousand years later, four thousand years later of that word. Um, to attach it to something that it doesn't even attach to yes. uh, in any way, shape or form. Um, well, Cheyenne, um, I think, I think a word to just kind of another perspective here. Um, I've heard this word used personally. I've heard it used um, to describe homosexuality in general. Um, the word I'm referring to is abomination um, and it's a big word, and I think people like using that word because it's long and big, and it sounds really bad. It sounds really intense. Um, and so it makes whatever you're attaching that word to sound extra bad because it's big and long, and uh, we understand that word to be like, oh, if something happens, that's an abomination. It's the worst thing that could ever have possibly had happened in that situation. And I think the pain that I've experienced in that and i'm hearing in that is that that word is often attached to homosexuality um and so i just wanted to hear from you cheyenne how has that word and it it doesn't need we don't need to do a word study necessarily but uh, how has that word um been used um in your presence or in general for you and how has that affected you um and where does that come from for you
2: yeah, um, I think Colby also mentions this in the book about seeing that a lot at pride parades and like in protests and stuff. And um, I, I remember my first pride parade. It was, And I, I wasn't out yet, but this is when I, I started forming friendships with people who were supportive. And like, I remember asking them, like, how did you know? And like, these, this is like when the, the conversation um, started happening. I was in Minneapolis at the time and I went to this pride parade and everyone was like, so excited for me to go to this parade. Um, and I went and I just remember being in like, it felt like this little bubble of just happiness and, um, lovingness, like every, everyone just like, you didn't even have to know someone and like, like just so much joy. And the next year I went, I was in a different city. I was in Seattle. Um, (laughs) and I went to a pride parade. Um, and I remember this time seeing the protesters with their signs. And it just made made no sense to me because I'm like, how, how can these people see this little happiness of a bubble and want to pop it? Like, it just, it, it never made any sense to me. And I feel like that was really the first time I really saw abomination um, as like a, as a term and a word. And I feel like where I was in my journey, it, it didn't affect me as much. Um, I never, I never really heard that word in like a sermon or anything. Um, it just felt like it was more of something that wasn't really addressed. Um, but I just feel like for me, I never, I never understood how someone could use that Use that word in terms like that, and and see and see nothing like just loving community and I don't know, you know.
1: Well, yeah, um, I have to. I I I think this is a cool opportunity, and I'm not trying to make this about me, so please don't take it this way. Um, but uh, there was a time in which uh, I wasn't uh, among the affirming camp. Um, I wasn't in, I wasn't working at a church. This is when I was in college. Um, and I, and I have to, I need to confess that I have, I have used that word in reference to homosexuality, um, in my history, in my life. Um, it's, it's since abominable for me to think that I did. Um, but I have, and so I, this is a a podcast of apologies (laughs) coming from me, but I just, I want to apologize for that. I know I've never used it in your context, Cheyenne, but, um, it's, it's happened. And uh, I want to acknowledge that as part of, you know, the story in my past. Um, um, So, but thank thank you for sharing that. It's, you know, seeing those things, even though in the moment, they don't, they, they don't kind of ring or like hit home in that moment. Like when you were talking about being in Seattle, um, I'm sure it's something that isn't forgotten, you know, the next time you see it and you say, Oh wait, this isn't the first time I've seen that. you know, I'm, I'm now seeing this a second time or a third time, um, and and that's so true. You know, I have a I have a few friends that that identify as gay, um, and they're the happiest, nicest, kindest people. The I mean, some of the most welcoming people I've ever been a part of. Um, uh, and and I don't understand how why anyone would want to take that happiness. I, I don't. I don't. I, it doesn't connect for me. You see someone that is happy. Uh, but isn't necessarily a part of the LGBTQ community. You want to say, oh, great. We're so glad that you're a happy person. Uh, But as soon as you find out this person isn't a straight white male or a straight white female, it's as if you want to remove that happiness from them. You want them to be, you expect them to feel terrible about themselves all the time.
2: Yeah. Uh, uh, And like going off of that, I feel like, you know, for me, like, um, and that like all the trauma that I went through and stuff growing up. Um, people are like, we just want you to find your happiness again. Like, you know, like we want, we want to see that spark. We feel like you lost it. And then it's like all of a sudden, like, yeah, I found it. And then people want to take it away again. No, 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 not that yeah. spark.
3: Wrong spark. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> no,
2: not that one.
1: <laughs> well, Colby, can you can you give us just a, a brief look at this word and like, I mean, I know this is another one of those clobber thoughts. So can you, can you tell us where this comes from? And is I mean, I'm asking you uh, to to debunk it for us.
3: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a tragedy that this English word ever made it into the Bible, this word abomination, because in, in our English language, abomination has a very particular meaning synonyms of abomination, abomination are vile, gross, and subhuman and none of those get at the root idea meaning of the hebrew word that abomination is attempting to translate and that hebrew word is tova and the idea of tova in ancient israel really it had nothing to do with things that were vile gross or or certainly not subhuman the idea of tova um if I could just put it as bluntly as, and quickly as possible the idea if something was something was Tova if it violated a cultural boundary marker that made you then um, rendered a person indistinguishable from the people around them and we see this use of Tova Um, used a lot in the Levitical law. So these two passages that use abomination in the English language come from Leviticus chapters 18 and chapter 20. And it shows up in this sort of section of Leviticus where the priestly code is trying to organize people's religious. And I mentioned it a minute ago, but again, these Genesis and Leviticus were written during a time when the ancient Israelites were trying to figure out who they were going to be. And they were trying to figure out what a new way to be human looked like a way that was, modeled after the heart and the values of yahweh and so they had to create pretty much this this whole new system of how to relate to god how to relate to themselves and how to relate to one another and how all that functioned in a religious world a religious context and so leviticus 18 and 20 these clobber texts show up in that leviticus uh, portion and if something is called tova again it's because if a uh, israelite person did this uh act they would then be just like the egyptians from which they just got freed from and or just like the canaanites from whom they were going to um, you know uh, replace in the promised land which is a whole other set of problems um but tova what the point that i make about tova is that it's not an objective declaration of something being wicked or wrong it's just not because we see uh stories in um, Exodus and in Leviticus where, for instance, Moses says to Pharaoh, would you let our people go out into the wilderness to worship our God because our worship to Yahweh is tovah to you, which is to say we recognize that us worshiping our God is sort of an offense, a cultural violation to you Egyptians. Moses isn't saying our worship of Yahweh is vile, gross, and subhuman. He's just saying it's tova to you, the Egyptians. Uh, the Egyptians saw shepherds as being tova. Um, we have a lot of famous examples like eating shellfish is tova and wearing clothing that has mixed fabrics in it is tova. It's not that the point of these are that they're vile, gross, or subhuman. They're not abominations. They are um, things that sort of indicate a, a crossing of boundaries, a transgressing of cultural boundaries. So that's the first point i make is that abomination is a horrible word to have made it into the english translation um it should have just been something like culturally offensive <laughs> and then we could have gone from there and then you can look at what the two references in leviticus what are these actual prohibitions staying you shall not lie a male with a, a male shall not lie with a male as with a woman for it is tovah and then in the book, I break down sort of how what's going on there in the Hebrew and in the context of the passage, what might actually be talking about. But again, I'll just say it like I did with Genesis. The point here has nothing to do with sexual orientation. This is not about someone's sort of innate desires for someone of the same sex, nor is it about two individuals of the same sex who, who, who desire to be in a loving, equal, committed relationship. In the book, I argue there's a very particular prohibition going on our best guess at least a very particular prohibition going on and we can talk about that but let's not blow it up into a larger uh, sort of anti-gay defense and then finally cheyenne you're totally off the hook because the, the prohibitions are just a male shall not lie with a male so whatever whatever probe like lesbians are in in the clear there's nothing in the old testament that has anything to say about lesbians so if i were you i'd quit identifying as gay and just stick with lesbians because you're good to go cheyenne <laughs> <laughs> anyway, <laughs> yeah, abomination—terrible word. It's almost as if that word was used
1: to ups- assign something to it. Um, oh,
0: wait, Marty, what you're saying is people who translate the Bible are reading their own interpretations into the translation and putting their own thoughts and opinions into how they translate certain words. What? Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. Do that. <laughs> and, and, and you know what's what's really interesting is um, I'm not. I'm certainly not a a biblical language expert by any stretch of the imagination. In fact, uh, I took Greek in seminary and I got a 17% on my midterm and wound up uh, wound up getting a... I'm sorry for uh,
3: laughing. No, no, I
1: laughed about it because the professor said, sometimes God uh, leaves us breadcrumbs along the trail of life, telling us where we ought to go. And sometimes he hits us over the head with a hammer. And I think he's hitting you over the head with a hammer. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> um, I wound up getting a seminary degree that didn't need uh, biblical languages. Smart, <laughs> um, smart. But... Uh, <laughs> Uh, I look up I looked up the word Tova uh on just on Google you know like word meaning and it's a, a name that is oftentimes like we, girl, young girls are given that name in Israel and the translation of the word of that name is literally just good that someone is good that that's the name meaning behind it now granted I'm sure there's differences in those interpretations of course but um in I just found that to be interesting. Um, but how the how words are attached to things as they as, you know, someone reads that word and says, huh, you know, well, I think what we're going to call this is abomination, because we want to, we want to build and create a narrative around this idea um, that we're, we're interpreting this idea of maybe this being taboo. I guess we, we would use that word today. Yeah, it's a good word. Um, something is taboo. Like, oh, we do not really talk about that. But, you know, the things that were taboo 10 years ago are no longer taboo today. Yeah. Uh, the things that are taboo today won't be that way in five or 10 years. Um, and so to look at something that was written so many years ago and mm-hmm. then a- attach that feeling of taboo mm-hmm. to now uh seems like an abomination
3: <laughs> it is an, it freaking is so uh so to hear cheyenne share a story of how she was you know grew up in a context that was uh, uh, um disallowing her to connect to who she really was and inviting maybe a polite word to say inviting her to just fundamentally alter herself and to know that that entire system was created around a particular belief of six verses articulated anywhere between two and three thousand years ago it drives me uh, uh, it pisses me off it really pisses me off that that we are that we that we think the height of human understanding of sexuality and well-being and wholeness that we achieved that three thousand years ago lock it in people we haven't gotten any better at understanding how humans cope in the world or relate like that's it that's the height of human understanding and so let's just freeze that into time oh god i'm it just it drives me mad um yeah i don't know why I went on that rant there marty but you got me going on just how <laughs> frustrating and angering and devastating it is that people have to endure so much shame and guilt and oppression because a few words that were written down thousands of years ago mm-hmm. uh, Mm-hmm. it's not it's not cool
0: yeah no i i feel your your sentiment Kobe. and um so listeners just so you know within the book Kobe like goes in depth into like six of these and um specifically Kobe. for me <clears throat> you pointed out rightly in your book that the romans passage tends to be the most difficult for most people and that was my experience and your treatment of the romans passage is wonderful uh so listeners be sure to uh to check that out but i i wanted to kind of move um away from that aspect and kind of get like a little bit practical. Um, So I'm going to throw some stuff uh, towards you, Cheyenne, if if you're cool with that. Um, And one thing that specifically I wanted uh, to ask you is a a common phrase (laughs) that gets thrown around and it has a whole bunch of assumptions built into it um is the phrase, love the sinner, hate the sin. And that is probably the thing I was taught most. Uh, when I was growing up around the idea of homosexuality, um, I don't know if I shared this with you or not, Cheyenne, but my family was actually kicked out of church uh, because when my brother came out when he was in seventh grade and uh, we were in a Baptist church at the time, and they said, You are no longer welcome here because it's an abomination. Um, and by kicking you out, that's how we love you. Thanks, guys. Um, but <laughs> so that phrase, love the sinner, hate the sin. Um, When that, when you hear that, what comes to mind? Uh, How has that statement impacted you, if at all?
2: Yeah, um, that statement um, (laughs) definitely heard it a lot. And I think that statement also is now um, seen in like same statement, but just different wording with like, um, oh, I'm not going to judge you. That's God's God's going to judge you. Or um, uh, I... I love you, but I don't love your actions, you know? Um, so I feel like that statement looks like a lot of different things. And all they all I mean to me is when I hear that, that you are judging me. You are not accepting me. You are not loving me. And it's like just the other, the other phrase I feel like it gets thrown around a lot that um, sounds just the same as that is I love you no matter what. Um, that, that kind of irks me a little bit too. Cause I'm like, no matter, no matter what, like fin- finish, the sentence. Don't just stop there. Um, <laughs> they all like, they all just have this, this hidden context of, um, there's something wrong with you and we're just gonna ignore that and keep going on. And, you know, that's on you, not on me. Um, it's kind of, it feels like when someone says that they're saying it for themselves kind of, um, and not for the person they're saying it to.
3: That's smart. I just had to unmute to come on and say, Cheyenne, that's so freaking insightful. I a hundred percent agree with what you just said. They're saying it for themselves. Okay. I'll go back to mute.
0: (laughs) (laughs) No, that's so good. Uh, thank you for that, Cheyenne. <clears throat> um, also, to one thing that I wanted to uh, kind of highlight and ask you about actually stemmed from a conversation that you and I had yesterday, um, kind of offline when we were talking about this. And you had mentioned that something that you re- that you really found helpful um, about the book had to be with the fact that like uh, when Colby uh, was you know, going through this theological journey and all this kind of stuff. Um, it wasn't because either Colby is gay or Colby had relationships at the time uh, with gay friends or, or family or something like that, um, but rather, yeah, th- just the opposite. Um, and you talked about how, like, that was really meaningful um, and that you liked how Colby, uh, I forget the language you used, but you talked about being an ally. Um, and so I just, I kind of wanted to, to just hear from you, like, what would you want those of us who would like to be allies? What, what are the kind of things you would like us to know? Um, what are the things that, that we can do? How can we be true, uh, allies?
2: Yeah. Um, something I really liked, um, was when Colby mentioned and like, um, in this, in the statement that, um was written about an undamnable offense. I think it is the wording you used. I f- I forget. Um, but when you specifically said it was undamnable, and like that wording, I feel like is so important. Um, that like it is not a sin and you're not you're not damned for being who you are. Um and I feel like a lot of allies don't want to be allies, but they don't they're not saying that, especially especially specifically in the church. Um and I feel like silence, people kind of take their silence as like um, being a reward almost. Um, like if I don't mention yes or no, or if I don't pick a stance and I just stay quiet about this, then I'm fine. But I feel like that's the silence is, is hurting too. Um, and I feel like the church has caused a lot of hurt and pain and they don't necessarily always want to acknowledge it and i think for if if there is a church or something that is feels like they they need to take a stance like you have, like you have to commit it's kind of like um i growing up i always heard the term lukewarm like don't be a lukewarm christian and i feel like this issue is very lukewarm like people are just taking the lukewarm stance and that's not good enough um you know and if if you're and I'm speaking for myself, but like if a church is going to, to take a stance and they say no, ultimately then like, that gives me like, then I know that like that's not a safe place. Um, and I'm not going to hurt myself by, you know, going into that space. But if I know the church is a hundred percent and like they're doing, they're doing the work, um, then like, I know that that's a safe place and like those people are, are safe, but you know, being in this unknown is just, Potentially going to cause more harm to people um, in the end if by not. Um, so I think it's really important for allies to take a stand and and be so verbal because most of the time um, people who identify as LGBTQ aren't in a space where they can um, for safety reasons. You know, like they're they're so scared and there's a lot riding on that um, and. I feel like people need to be more vocal and acknowledge that they are a safe person and there is a safe space. If that if that exists, like you need to to scream it, <laughs> like so that people know. And um, because we can we can only do so much, um, and the allies are are definitely going to be able to take that a step further. Um, yeah.
0: Yeah. Thank. Uh... Thank you for that, Cheyenne, and um, then just in response to that, I want to ask you, um, because I know a lot of the time, at least in my experience, I know churches will like have on their website about, oh, you know, everybody is welcome, come as you are, Um, and then what unfortunately I think ends up happening is then somebody comes, and then they say, oh, I want to become a member, or I want to lead a Bible study, or I want to, you know, be a greeter, and they're like, well, you're gay, you can't. And then it's like this apologize for my dog's <laughs> But
3: there's, there's like, I think a, your dogs are just hearing you talk about churches bait and switch, and they're they as are. angry as we are. They like, are. They're pissed. Yeah. That sucks. It's the stupidest <laughs> thing. I hate when churches do that. That's what I hear your dog saying.
0: Yeah. I, so agree.
3: I, I agree with your dogs.
0: Yeah. Good. It's a, I, <laughs> infuriating. <laughs> yeah. So, um, Cheyenne, do you feel, would you like personally think then, would it almost be better for a church just to be honest, like straight up, here's our position, even if it's negative, than this bait and switch kind of thing that happens?
2: Yeah, I think I think that it, it, you need to be very clear. And I also um, also just want to clarify um, being an ally. I feel like um, some people want to just be an ally, and they don't want to do the work. And I just I also want to encourage people who are allies to really um, look at um, where they are going to church. And if you're an ally, you need to also be doing the research. Like for me, when I, even when I apply for jobs, um, specifically when I apply for jobs, I look for policies. I I stalk the Instagram. Did they post anything for pride month? Like, is this a place I feel comfortable working? Um, And I think allies need to be doing that as well, especially within the church, Um, like doing their research. Like, oh, what does, what does the church stand on this? Like, if you are going to a church that, that is not and is preaching something that you don't stand for like are you really an an ally are you like like There's just I feel like there needs to be more um acknowledgement for that um sorry I don't know if I steered away from your question
0: (laughs) no that's that's perfect that it's so helpful too and like um just since Marty did his confession, I'll I'll do mine. And my dogs really need to shut the hell up. There must be a delivery or something. And I apologize. Like, is it super loud? <laughs> That's so bad. All right. Well, listen. Everybody, Josh has dogs. Just in case you. Yeah, know, I do. In case Josh you owns know, dogs. Three of them. Um, yeah, but uh, okay. So this, this like specifically things that you're talking about, Cheyenne, and also something that Colby referenced in your book um, was probably the most convicting thing for me, uh, in reading on clobber. And, and, Kobe, you talked about this, uh, like I said, as well as Cheyenne just did. And you talked about how you at one point thought, uh, perhaps that it could be cool to be in a church, uh, where staff had mixed positions on this, you know, where, uh, it was just like, oh, okay, people can have different opinions on staff, whatever. Um, and then actually you came to the realization, like, no, that's not actually helpful. And then when I was talking with you, Cheyenne yesterday, um, I said something about that and like, yeah, that, that isn't actually helpful. Cause then it's not actually a safe space. Um, it's still a conditional uh, aspect. And I don't know for me that that was just super convicting because um, I mean, recently I thought this was a couple months ago. Um, my church did a, a sermon um, about LGBTQ. I'm not quite sure why, <laughs> but that is what they did. And the staff kind of had some mixed feelings about it. Um, various people expressed uh, concerns, um, and then, but uh, the head pastor—he's awesome. He's not the kind of person that just like ignores people or like I'm the head pastor, so I do what I want. He's—he's he's very open to to listening to people, and he did that. Um, and instead of just preaching a message, um, he decided to have an open table conversation uh, where he kind of got up first and basically preached for like 10 minutes. And essentially his message was there's an entire group of people uh, that think the church hates them and that's a problem. And then he also said, I did all the work and the research. I understand the affirming position. I'm just not there. Um, But like, I get it kind of thing. And then he invited uh, myself and a member of our church uh, up onto stage. And we had a conversation uh, where the member of our church, uh, she um, identifies as a lesbian um, however she is married to a man um, but not because she like tried to like like pray the gay like get it like marry a guy so that she wasn't gay anymore um, she just ended up falling in love with this guy and so she still identifies with a lesbian but she's with this man um, and she kind of got to tell her story and then I got to share my story uh, about you know my brother uh, coming out um, and then also like at, at the time this wasn't talked about but my other brother uh, he's um he uses the phrase like pansexual um and then like I worked with <laughs> uh my friend Chad who's been on the podcast before who's an openly gay man uh at a church he was like the worship uh director guy and so I got to share my journey and my perspective and basically I said um basically because I was trying to save face I said well if you want my answer it depends on what day you ask me sometimes I'm affirming sometimes I have I have my doubts I mean, that's kind of the the answer I gave from stage. Um, But like, while I was doing that, I felt like guilty for doing that because I knew that was a lie because the truth is no, I'm affirming. um, But I wasn't like, I didn't feel like I could say that. And so that whole thing, like listening to you just now and then Kobe talking about in the book, like it's really kind of messed me up (laughs) and like, Yeah. I don't want to go too far into detail because I don't, I'm not trying to get myself fired, but um, it added uh, to a list of other things. Um, So I, yeah, I just, it's not much of a question, but any response or, or like, what do you think? (laughs) It's, it's a thing. I don't know. I,
3: I have thoughts, but I didn't know if Cheyenne was that directed towards Cheyenne.
0: Uh, anybody? I just, okay. yeah, I kind of just, um, I wasn't able to formulate that into a question. No, it's so good. I just kind of said my experience. <laughs> so it's for both of you, because Colby, you've been there. Cheyenne, you live it every day. So
2: yeah, I'd like to hear uh, Colby uh, respond. Actually,
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh,
3: Josh, I'm so proud of you. I I I, I felt as you were. Telling that story, I felt your sort of internal, like hope I hope it's not shame, although I could I could understand if it went there a little bit. a sense of how how who was that guy on the stage? Who was that guy that gave a half-ass answer that he knew in the moment wasn't real? I think that guy is somebody who cares very much about his wife, cares very much about this home you're trying to build, cares very much about your three dogs, even though you want them to shut the hell up. I just think you're a guy who you, you care a lot about those things. And yeah, a, 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 cynical take on that could be, oh, you just wanted to save your job. Yeah. (laughs) That that's true probably. And that's not always the worst thing in the world, especially in the midst of a global pandemic when finding work right now would be really hard. So I, I, I feel In you sharing that story, I feel even myself in that, in the story that I shared, where I was clear with the elder board when they interviewed me about, like, what do you think about homosexuality? I was clear with them and I was hoping that they would, that I would be able to keep my job. Like, I don't think those impulses, I hope we're not uh, shamed by those impulses. I, I, I think, if nothing else, let's just listen to them. Let's listen to them. They're there to say, um, yeah, there's a part of humanity called self-preservation and we wouldn't be here <laughs> you know if it wasn't for the fact of that kicking in 500,000 years ago or whatever it was. Like self-preservation is real. It doesn't mean we always have to let it control the steering wheel. It doesn't mean it always gets to drive the ship if I can mix metaphors, although I think ships have steering wheels. Um so sometimes it's just about naming that. Like, oh, there there you are, that sweet part of me that is trying to preserve my life like i see you uh, that makes a lot of sense that you would come online right there if i could do it over again i maybe wish you wouldn't have come online but i can i can i can see you but maybe next time i'll, I'll let you just move to the back seat i know i can't kick you totally out of the car because you're with me and it's, and, and you're good you you've saved me a lot um but yeah i could see that being a moment for you josh of um there's some regret mixed in there and I hope you just tender with yourself because those moments aren't easy. I didn't I had my moment in a room full of eight board members. Um, as scary as that was, it's not the same thing as being put on the spot and a public forum in front of your church. Um, and dot 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 new paragraph, um, I can feel how you probably felt like you betrayed some people that you really care about that answer that that's not really how I want to represent my position. Cause that's not my position. And
0: yeah, even though they were gracious and, and no one gave me shit totally. for it. Yeah. yeah they, cause, Cause my brother, the hardest thing was my brother was in the room. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, and, but he only said positive things about the experience. Um, but yeah, that, and I also too, like he, like he knows how I feel. And like, I think he probably got it, you know, gets like, okay. Josh said as much as he can. Yeah. And I basically put myself there, but then put a caveat to it. So I remember earlier
1: Colby, when you said that empathy is not a part of like who you feel like you are. I think you're wrong. I think you need to (laughs) reevaluate because every time we've had a conversation with you, that has, that has been a character trait of you that I feel is amongst your strongest that you you feel people for where they are. Um, and I, I think, I think, uh, I think that helps you in this specific topic. Um, and it helped you with this writing this book and coming to terms with these feelings because it's something that has been missing from the Christian perspective on homosexuality. Um, so I just, I I just wanted to throw that in there quickly that, um, you may think that it's not your strong suit, but I, I would, I would argue that it, that it's one of your main things. <laughs> so.
3: Thanks, Moni. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think I'll just say, it, I'll do this one last thing. And then I, I would love to hear Cheyenne's thoughts on, on that. Um, as far as the idea of m- pastors with multiple perspectives on this sort of sharing a staff and leading a church I I wish I had a clear answer for that I wish I wish it was a black and white thing I wish I just I think it's more nuanced than at times even I want to admit and even as you were sharing your story what came to mind for me well first of all I agree with your dogs that the bait and switch of churches who say all are welcome here, but then the closer you get to the Holy of Holies, the more you realize, oh shit, like I can never get married here. I can never be on staff here. Um, you know, the bait and switch is, I think one of the most painful things that the churches is is doing today in, in the 21st century. And, And it, yeah, I would much rather like Cheyenne said churches just be like, okay, we do not believe that being gay is okay. <laughs> We'd love for you to still come to our church, but just know that like, good God, just clarity, have, be kind. Um, but about the staff thing, I think, I think if the, I'll just do a hypothetical here, if the lead pastor, uh, of an organization is genuinely open to having a, a period of time of exploration and question and discovery, I think they, sh- they, they, the, the community deserves to hear them name that. That look, I'm going to, and the community deserves to have a stop date. It can't be just an indefinite, like, oh, I'm just open to the conversation. No, like, F that, give your community a stop date. We will, for 12 months, as a staff or as a board or as a church, just explore this. And at the end of that 12 months, we will have an answer. And that answer will let those in our community who identify queer know if this is a church where they can ultimately grow their family at or not. And give, people a freaking exit ramp because they need to they deserve to know what their future there can be like and the staff so even in your in your context uh josh i think it's on one hand yeah you could say it's beautiful that the leadership sort of allows for this diversity but that in my mind is sort of a privileged position to take because it's not always about those in the leadership and especially in churches it don't, it shouldn't shouldn't i try to strike that language from my vocabulary we're here to serve the people. We're here to serve the people under us. And what good does a diverse staff in that way do to the Cheyennes in the church who are like, okay, but can I get married here? It doesn't do them any good. She's not going to be like, well, I can't get married here, but isn't that cool that our staff has diverse thoughts on this? Honestly, the Christmas cards that they write home, that's just not going to be a highlight of the thing they write on there. Um, So I don't know. I, I feel like it's not entirely fair to say to people, well, if your lead pastor is not affirming, then you need to leave. But I do think it's fair to say, if that lead pastor is not open to changing their position on it, and if they're not willing to put a, a end date on when that exploration will end, then um, I think ultimately we need to ask, what is what are we doing for the marginalized among us? Are we creating a place that is ultimately safe for them? Um, yeah.
1: Okay, I'm done. <laughs> Thanks, Colby. That yeah. that was good. Um, well, I think we only have a few more questions here. Maybe one or two more. Um, I guess um, Cheyenne, we'd love to hear from you. Um, this is something that you've experienced personally. You've uh, you've done this, and. Um, I'm sure now you look back on this on this on this moment or these moments and you've uh, thought to yourself, "Boy, I may have done that differently next time if I had a next time." Or, um, "Man, that was great. I loved how that how that went through and uh, how that was received, or or how whatever that experience was." But I'm sure there are people listening to the podcast right now. There there could be um, who are struggling with the i with the mindset that, "Okay, I identify personally as LGBTQ." And I'm terrified of telling somebody that, and I don't know how to do that. I don't know who I can even talk to, to get this advice. I don't, I don't know if I ask someone for advice, how to do this, then that will be doing it. And then that's not how I want to do that. Um, do you have any advice for anyone listening who, uh, maybe struggling through that and how they can do that in a way that not only feels safe, but is affirming for themselves?
2: Yeah. Um, I feel like it definitely isn't going to get less scary. <laughs> um, I feel like it's, it's just gonna feel terrifying. Um, and it's funny cause for me, <laughs> um, I came out to two friends first at college. Uh, Christina was one of them and, um, they, I was so scared and so worked up over saying it that, like they thought I had murdered someone and (laughs) like the fear that I had just radiated as if like, I had literally done the worst possible thing ever. And afterwards they're like, okay, (laughs) like, you know, um, and that's one reaction, you know, but there's, there's the other reaction, you know, and the fear is because you don't know how someone is going to react. Um, and for me, um, I don't, I think for me, I kind of came out in little, little bits, um, and not intentionally. I feel like I just asked a lot of questions and it happened throughout my four years at college. You know, it happened in Minneapolis when I was like, well, how did you know know, it happened? Um, when I was angry in Bible class and like went to my Bible professor and was like, I don't understand this, you know? Um, and I think just my advice is, is if you're struggling with coming out, um, no, one's coming out story is the same and there's no expiration date on that. And there's nothing wrong with not coming out. That doesn't make you any less queer. If it's not safe, then you're, it doesn't make you any less queer by, by not coming out. Um, and waiting for a moment where you do feel safe and you will feel heard is more important than than that, I think. Um, and I don't know. I feel like for me, what I what I found helpful was I kind of poked a little bit to see who felt who felt safe. Um, and I'm I'm very intuitive and um, I'm a feeling person, so I feel like for me, like I could feel who who is going to be safe and. And like Colby was saying in the beginning, it's it's not a one and done sort of situation. Um, you know, I'm constantly going to be coming out. Um, if, you know, when I find a new line of work, you know, and I start a new job, um, you know, people always make comments. You know, so I guarantee people are going to hear this and they're going to be like, what? <laughs> um, but I, I just really hope that, you know, me and, and allies and other queer people can create a world that, or doesn't have to be as scary. Um, Like that is, that is my, my hope is, you know, I'm an educator and um, one of my goals is, you know, I want to be that safe person, you know, and that's, I like, I want to be that because I, I didn't have that, you know, for so long. Um, Yeah, I... I just, I get how scary it can be. And I just also, I really want to validate people who feel like they're not queer because they haven't come out yet. And um, doesn't, not coming out doesn't make you any less queer. It's a process. (laughs)
3: Yeah. Marty, do you mind if I respond? Yeah. Yeah, Cheyenne, I I, thank you for sharing that. And you, a few minutes ago when you were talking in response to Josh's question about you know, some insights for allies. You talked about the importance of allies making themselves known, like making it obvious to the people in their life. And I just w- wonder how different of an experience that, like it's great that you're an intuitive person and I'm sure your intuition is 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 right more often than it's wrong, but wouldn't that have been so lovely if you wouldn't have had to guess, if you wouldn't have had to poke around, if you would have just been able to scroll through your friend's Instagram to feed, be like, Rebecca, Rebecca's going to be safe. I know it. I can talk to Rebecca. Um, So I just, I, my point here is just to reaffirm what Cheyenne said earlier about allies. If you're listening, let the people in your life know that you are a safe person to come out to you. Don't, don't make people have to guess. Um, Mm. Give them that gift of knowing that you are safe. And that's often what I, what I, my suggestion to people when they have, individuals in their life that are not affirming, like, how can I change so-and-so's mind? Like, well, first of all, you, you can't, like, I don't know that you're going to have any success changing their mind. Um, People's minds do change. Yes. But rarely do we succeed in changing people's minds when that's our goal. But what you can do is make yourself so known as a person who is safe and affirming and full of, grace and compassion and kindness that if and when people do start having questions, if, and when they do start wondering, they know they can come to you. They know mm-hmm. they can come to you. So I, I love that Cheyenne. Thank you.
1: Yeah. Well, and, and I would also add to that as one of the, one of the few that did wind up changing his, his own mind. Um, if you've previously been unsafe an unsafe person, uh, make, make, you wow. should make that known yeah. that you are now a safe person because I think that um that unsafe nature will 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 trade will will turn into other things um later on down the road. Like if, if you've previously been unsafe, uh that could turn into being unsafe in other ways as well. Um it could turn into not only are you unsafe to come out to but you're also unsafe to be around. You're unsafe to be a friend with you're unsafe to talk to, uh, to joke with, even if it's just over social media, which I know a lot of us have friends that we are uh, close to close to on social media, but that's it. Uh, like we don't see people, these people, I have so many friends in all the different places I've lived and I would be devastated to know that a previous friend, um, saw me as unsafe in this way, which transformed into being unsafe in every other way, uh, where now I'm no longer someone they would even want to be a relationally a part of. Um, But uh, the, the one other thing Cheyenne, as you were talking, it, it reminded me back in 2013, there was an NBA player, Jason Collins. um, And he was the first professional athlete, male professional athlete to come out as gay. And I remember That I remember personally feeling, and this was in my time of not being affirming in any way, I remember personally feeling that this was coaxed out of him, Um, whether that's true or not, whether he felt, I obviously don't know Jason Collins, but um, I remember feeling like the media coaxed this out of him to the point where he felt like he had no other choice but to come out and share who he is. Uh, and I I remember feeling that is so wrong that this person felt like in order to even get to the point of approaching whether or not his space is safe or not, he had to do this. And it may have been premature. He may have not been in that place where he was ready to do so. Um, so I think, I think the words I'm feeling in that is besides safe, just being empathetic, being the type of person... Uh, that someone can feel like they can trust. And it may not even be in regards to homosexuality. It may just be that you are generally a safe person. You're generally someone that can be trusted and will listen and will hear somebody. And I think if you're that kind of person and Cheyenne, please tell me I'm wrong if I'm wrong. Um, But I think if you're the kind of person who um, is always empathetic, is always caring, is always listening, is always there for your friends, even if you're not personally on the inside, someone that would call yourself affirming in a hundred percent of the ways, perhaps you're the type of person that is that your friendship with this person is bigger than those feelings on that. And so this person feels safe around you to share that with you because they know you're not going to Lord your position over them, over their friendship. Um, because I, I, I want to, is as hard as it is in, uh, in this specific conversation. And I hate being devil's advocate, especially with this conversation, but I realize there could be listeners that aren't quite sure that they're affirming. They're like, they aren't quite sure that they fall in that place. Like where Josh was in his self preservation self on stage, they aren't 100% positive that they're in that space, hundred all the way in that they've dove in and they're under, under all the way in. Um, So I'm, I'm feeling that slight tension in wondering that if that person can allow themselves to be a true advocate for the, for their friends and empathize with their friends to the point where they love their friends. And it's not even the, I love you no matter what, it's just, I love you. And that's the end of it. Um, This wouldn't be the kind of thing that would come between two friends in a way where like Cheyenne, you come out to me, and I'm like, "Oh well, now I'm not your friend anymore," um, or something like that. So, I, is that is that ringing true? Is that wrong? It, like, just please, please correct me if that's true, because I don't, I don't want to be in that place where I'm offering information that is totally not a part of the conversation.
2: Yeah, um, thank you for sharing that. Um, I think that. That's valid. I think that's valid. Um, but I think also in a, in a friendship like that, um, only time is going to tell, like, I don't think, yeah, the friendship's going to end right there, but I think time is, time's going to tell. And it's, Mm -hmm. it's either going to bring the friendship closer. It's going to bring the friendship farther away. Um, in the fact that, um, I, it's tricky, um, but like, I, like I, I totally get that. Um, I, I just think, I don't, maybe it's because I, I don't know if I've ever had, had a friendship that wasn't, that didn't end abruptly or be, um, I don't, yeah, um, well, I'm like kind of, I'm a, little okay. on, I'm a little on the fence about this, but I think, I think time will tell. And I think having a safe person is fine. Um, even if they're not affirming, if, you know, if they're like, you know, like a really close friend. Um, But I think time is going to tell whether or not that friendship makes it, makes it last. And I I think being prepared for that also is, is
1: important. Well, and I, I think one, one thing that I try, I, I try really hard and I know I fail miserably at it often. I try not to be with a lot of things, I try not to be absolutely certain and, and decided on a lot of things in my life because I find that something could come out of left field that I'm totally not expecting or anticipating um, that will change my perspective on something. And I might have thought, oh, I'm decided on this. Like, I'm I'm totally done. And then you read on Clobber and you're like, okay, wait a minute. Like, I'm reading these and all of the things that I thought established my tried and true done position that has been established for centuries is now been taken away and if you're the kind of person that is like well I'm I'm all in and I'm I'm never going to change my mind then you won't even ever read Unclobber. you won't even ever read these books or or engage with these people because you're never in that space to rethink sorry to throw the throw the word in there uh, <laughs> uh, like who you are and what you stand for and and to me faith should be something that we are constantly trying and truing. It, it's, it's never something that, I mean, there are absolutes like I know Jesus is my Lord and savior and that will never change, but how I feel about one thing or the other could change. I mean it not to diminish it, but how I used to feel about a certain type of food may not be how I feel next year or next week. Um, and I think, I think that we can, I think if, if you're the kind of person that is always, my my position is done and established, and I will never change it. I think you will be seen as an unsafe person in this situation because you won't be the kind of person that is willing to accept something coming that's different than you anticipated, and then take it and live within it, and then experience that tension with your friend. Um, unless unless your tried and true position to me, I mean, it would be I'm willing to accept that I'm willing I'm, I'm willing to see how being affirming is is helpful. I'm willing to see how being affirming is caring or you're just someone I'm affirming and no matter what. And I think that it's something that we should be constantly rethinking whether like any, any positions you have that you like, this is it. I'm I'm never going to change my mind on that. I will always be a Republican. I will always be a Democrat. I will, uh, I will always be an atheist. I will always be this. I'll always be that. I think it's important to find yourself in a space where you can be the type of person that accepts that something could come that you're not expecting. Um, but with all that being said, Cheyenne, thank you because I, I think you, I think you've put, it like you've put my thought on that into a better window um, than simply saying like, Oh yeah, maybe I'll change my mind. If it ever happens to come across, but like to instead be the person that is willing being that safe person. Doesn't just, it takes time. For that safe feeling, if you're that kind of person, it takes time for that safeness to feel there. Where, whereas, if you're a affirming person and you're obviously out about that you're an affirming person, then you, people know it and it won't change when they share with you. So, sorry, I'm rambling a lot today. I'm not. I'm not trying to do that.
0: <laughs> no, nah, it's all good, man. And I just, uh, real quick, I want to just share two thoughts real fast, just to to wrap us up. Um, and thank you guys both for your time. Um, I. This is an important conversation and I didn't want to rush anything um, because it matters. <laughs> and so uh, here two closing thoughts and I want to, any closing thoughts from you guys. Um, one thing that I think about um, on this, Marty, and I'm not, I'm not trying to disagree with you, but I think one realization that I had was when we talk about uh, this specific topic, um, most of the time, when we talk about theology and things like that, we're arguing about different ideological claims that are out there somewhere. Uh, this question is not one of uh, just some ideological claim. It's actually somebody's everyday life and experience. Yeah. Um, and so for me, once I, once I, <laughs> I know it sounds stupid to say, but recognizing that, um, and I mean, this, this, like, I don't know if I, whenever I had a moment like, oh, yes, I'm, a, I'm now affirming or something like that, it was a gradual process. Definitely my brother coming out had something to do with it definitely being in relationships with people who are in the LGBTQ community had something to do with it. But regardless, um, it's not just some ideology that we can just argue about. Because when mm. we do that, that's like a very, like Kobe said earlier, it's, that's coming from a privileged position where you're, you're arguing about somebody else's life experience in a way that yeah. you don't have to deal with and understand. Um, and then- That's good. Yeah, and that ties into like, that's the, the thing with racism. I'm never gonna sit here and argue with somebody Ideology, ideologically, if racism is okay, like no, <laughs> it's not. <laughs> they, yeah. they can't help the yeah. fact that they're black. They can't help the fact that they're uh, Latino or that they're Asian or whatever. I um, mean, it's the same thing. So that's one thing. And then also, I just want to end um, my thoughts. Uh, and this is normally Marty used to do this, um, but I'm going to steal your thunder. Used to make <laughs> bold statements on the podcast.
1: Yeah,
0: but I I genuinely think bold statement. Uh, churches out there um, that are non-affirming are going to die and they're not going to exist anymore um, because it's just not feasible. (laughs) And it's just, it's becoming to the point where it's just, it's, I don't know. So I humbly plead and ask people to open up their minds and their hearts. um, And uh, I think Colby's book is a great place to start with that. Um, And hopefully this conversation has been as well. So, um, yeah. And I mean, I, it's just, I say that coming from like a high school and young adult pastor where literally the first question I was asked when I got hired at this church is what do you think about gay people? By students, not by staff. The first question I was asked Um, and that made or break either that made me or it broke me. Um, And I, I told them I was affirming. And this was during my interview. So I guess I don't know if that information didn't get back or what, but <laughs> anyways, um, I'll shut up and just open the floor. Kobe, Cheyenne, any closing thoughts or anything you want to throw out there?
2: Um, yeah, I think, um, I, I really hope that this conversation that we had sparks people to have like a conversation with a lot of other people and, um, I, I really, really, really hope that churches start to understand the importance of taking a stance. Um, silence hurts, um, and yeah, and I, I just hope that this, everyone should read this book. Definitely, <laughs> um, it's a, it's it was a really good read. Um, thank you, Colby, for writing it, um, mm-hmm. and yeah, thank you also for having me. <laughs>
0: Yeah, thank you for coming on. I realize it's not I mean, putting yourself out there to the world like hey, is not an, an easy thing to do. So I appreciate your willingness. Um yeah. so thank you for that. And also we can give a, a shout out to uh Christina for for making it happen. <laughs> so thank you, Christina.
3: <laughs> yeah, thanks, Cheyenne. Lovely to meet you. Thank you for showing up and being so brave, really really lovely. Um, I think my closing thought will just be to any listener who might still find themselves in that, what I might call non-affirming position, um, where they might genuinely embody the love the sinner, hate the sin. And I, and there is a, there is an intent and a heart behind that, that I honor and I value. And I, I think it is people's attempt to live out a posture of compassionate conviction where they do have particular beliefs deep inside them that they're not yet able to shift away from, but they want to still be really compassionate. Um, and they, like you said, Marty earlier, they want to show up for their queer friends and say, I do still love you. And I want to still love you. Um, if that's you and you're listening to this, uh, I think i'll say a couple things one is i think it's beautiful of you to want to still love and show love and be in a relationship with your lgbtq siblings and friends and family members Um, but just please hear me when i say this and i say this with all the pastoral tenderness i can muster you don't get to set the terms for that so if the person in your life that does identify LGBTQ ultimately says to you, I hear you that you want to love me and be in a relationship with me, but you can't accept me. Um, But, but that's, it just doesn't work for me. Like you just need to be prepared to accept that you don't get to set the terms for that. Um, You can show up with that, with that sort of compassionate attempt at conviction, living out your convictions, but know that it may, it may not work the way you want it to work. And you, you need to, be ready and willing to accept that. Now, some people and everybody's different. I don't, like Shane can tell you the queer community that community is a very loose sense of the word because there is no monolith by which all people find themselves um living as or and or under. And there very well maybe people who are like, yeah, I don't need you to accept me. Are you nice to me? Are you kind? Or do you, will you watch my kids in a pinch? Will you send me meals when I'm sick? Like that's all I really need. So like every person is gonna be different on what they are able to receive from people. Um, And so don't, it's okay again, I'm speaking to you listener who maybe is open but not yet affirming. Uh, Don't get surprised if Billy in your life is totally fine with you being non-affirming but still friends with you, but then Suzanne, it needs to pull back like there's just people are all going to be in different places in different parts of their life and you just don't get to set the terms for that and then the, the last thing i would say to you uh, dear listener is um it's okay to change your mind i know it's scary uh, i know that you like me and marty and josh and cheyenne were raised in a system that convinced you that the most important thing to god is that you have the right beliefs But if you can believe it, (laughs) that is not what Jesus thought. For Jesus, it is not about having the right beliefs. For Jesus, it is about love. Loving God, loving others, and loving yourself. You really don't need to add anything more to that. That sums up all the prophets, it sums up all the law. So it's okay to change your mind. You actually can shift your belief on this and the world's not gonna fall apart. You can shift your belief on this and God's not gonna stop loving you. You can shift your beliefs on this And you know what's going to happen? You're just going to find even more beautiful fruit on the other side of it, I promise you. I've seen it too many times. Um, I know it's scary, but if you can believe it, changing your mind and changing your beliefs uh, is okay. And like Marty said uh, earlier, it's actually good. (laughs) It's actually a good faith to change. Uh, But anyways, thanks for having me, guys. It's been a a real honor.
0: Yeah, Colby, thank you so much for uh, taking some time to come on to hang out with us today and Cheyenne again? Thank you so much. Uh, this has been wonderful, and I know it's going to help many people. Um, so thank you guys both uh, for being here today.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, sweet. All right, listeners, thank you so much for hanging out with us today. And uh, as always, go caps. Go, Black wait, I, didn't, I
3: don't sign off on this. Go, mighty <laughs> ducks. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't have go, speak for all of us and go rangers for Cheyenne
1: yeah, there uh,
0: we go. <laughs> yes now go in peace and be good allies Yeah, we love you guys, thank you